0: Welcome to The Gone Jeepin' Show with your hosts, Rick Payway and Tracy Clark. Grab your favorite beverage, kick back, put your feet up, and have a listen. We're all Jeep all the time. On this edition of The Gone Jeepin' Show, it's all about Moab. We're preparing to head to the 55th Annual Easter Jeep Safari. We're going to tell you about some of our favorite trails, our favorite places to eat, and a lot of other cool things that happened during EJS. Stay tuned and enjoy.
1: Welcome to the fourth edition of the Gone Jeepin' Show.
0: I'm your host, Rick Payway. And I'm your co host, Tracy Clark. And this is our special Moab edition. That's right. We've dedicated this edition
1: to Moab because that's where we're going to be at the end of the month. This is going to be a special little thing. We have our complete staff here, almost our complete staff. We have Stuart, Greg, Chris, Liam, and Tyler here with us. And we all hope to be in Moab the beginning of next month. What are the dates, Tracy, for the uh, Easter Jeep Safari?
0: Easter Jeep Safari kicks off 30 days from today. Well, technically 28 because February's only got 28 days. But uh, March 27th is the first Saturday of the 55th annual Easter Jeep Safari. And it runs through Easter Sunday, April 4th.
1: Right, so that's more than a week of wheeling. And I know it's, for me, it's one of my favorite places to go. It's probably considered the mecca of four-wheeling. It's one of the most well-known four-wheeling spots. And uh, like you said, 55th anniversary. It's been around a long time. I think we all know that it's, it used to be that Moab was just a sleepy little farming town. Maybe some cattle, a little bit of this and that. Until 1952, when uranium was discovered by a miner called Charlie Steen, and it was pretty interesting because that was during the Cold War, and the moab just it just burst it seems wide open. It grew so fast it was like a regular mining boom town. Chris Yes, sir. The name of the mine was the uh, Mivita oh, Mivita. yeah, yeah at Charlie's place. And,
2: uh, he, uh, you know, he had been a struggling, he was basically bankrupt. He had, was, had, he was determined that he was going to find something out there of value and uranium was, was, you know, what he was after. And he was at the end of all of his loans. He had no money, just about ready. He was like ready to call it, call it a day and just pack up and go find somewhere else to prospect. And, um, and he came across uh, a good ore sample. And, you know, it made him a millionaire, like overnight. It's mm-hmm. a pretty amazing story, yeah. And it brought like the world to Moab, at least right. the
1: American military. That's right. And one of the interesting side notes is his 1946 CJ2A, which is what he was driving when he discovered it, and which made some of those trails around Moab is still there today. Even though Charlie himself is
2: long gone, yeah, it's interesting about the trail system because you know it's one somebody that hasn't been there. Or in fact, first time I was there, you think who made all these trails? It's crazy because they're everywhere. They're up the shelves, you know, the shelves between canyons. So for those of you that haven't been to Moab, you're either in a canyon or you're on top of a cliff, and somewhere the miners, military, the mineral mining industry decided that they could carve roads up these shelves and all across the top and down through the valleys, and they became the trails that we use.
3: That's really cool. If you go on some of the trails like uh, Metal Masher or or Seven Mile Rim, while you're on the trail, if you look at the ground in front of you and you pay attention as you're doing the trail, every once in a while you can see these four or six-inch core holes, and those holes um, are where they would core down through looking for uranium deposits. Um, and some of them are really deep. Like way back in the day, some of the first times I ever went to Moab, when you would go on one of those trails, um, the trail guide, you'd stop and you know you'd take your soda can and drop it down the core hole, and you could hear it take the hundreds of feet down. You know that's not acceptable today. We don't want to leave any litter, but um, those core holes are still there. So when you're on the trails, you can see those. And some of them are really, really cool. Um, my favorite one is on Seven Mile Rim. And you can look down into it you're very close to the edge of the cliff and you can actually see about 100 feet down there's i don't know a 20 or 30 foot cavern where the light comes in so you can actually see into the core hole even from the top you can see the light so it's, it's really cool to find neat little things like that in moab
1: right and you'll be going along following some trail usually you'll you'll be following black marks on slick rock and then you see where it's been just scraped away, and one of the reasons was they had bulldozers back then to make these roads. They they had heavy equipment. Uh, you know they brought in drill rigs to make those uh, core holes, and so these bulldozers would just plow a trail away. And once they were done, there was a few enterprising jeepers that said, "Hey, let's connect a few of these roads." that we've made, so we can have a system. So that's how some of the longer ones came about today.
2: So has anybody ever found any interesting artifacts? Yes. Yeah, okay,
3: yeah we'll
1: leave them all that's there because it's federal. Yeah, there's
3: a lot of really cool things that you can find around, in fact, on uh, Hell's Revenge, which is a very famous trail. If, if you go on Hell's Revenge, uh, right at the beginning of it, there's the dinosaur footprints, And about 50 feet before the dinosaur footprints, if you're savvy enough to kind of go off over the cliff edge, um, there's still some um, very, very large drill bits stuck in the side of the cliff. Um, And you can wiggle them around, but you can't get them out. Um, And then there's a lot of other spots where there's really cool little artifacts from back in the mining days, but um, that's a fun one for me.
0: Well, and even prior to mining days, there... There are quite a few um, cliff dwellings in the area, as well as petroglyphs.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Native Americans were a big, big uh, group in that area because of the of the river. Colorado River flows right through Moab, so there is definitely you know the regular agricultural stuff from prehistoric Indians all the way up to the modern modern times. It's still a big industry, but the yeah four wheeling part came about because I believe it was the chamber of commerce uh, started hosting it to get people into the town, the very first Easter Jeep safaris. And then later on the Red Rock four wheelers formed and they took over since it was much larger than what the chamber could, ha- could handle. And Chris, um, I know you have a little bit more information on that. Um, yeah, actually the, um,
2: they had looked at the Jeepers Jamboree kind of as a model. It had started um, in a number of years before as a fundraiser for Georgetown, California on the Rubicon Trail. And they were like, Hey, how do we get people here? How do we raise um, some funds for the community? How do we bring business in? And so they had, yeah, they'd used Jeepers Jamboree as, as kind of a model. Um, early on, actually, I think it was actually the first um, event, It was in 1967. uh, They ran behind the rocks uh, and they provided um, ice cream at lunch. And you think 1967, they didn't have a fridge freezer, right? right. (laughs) So they had a Cessna 150, if I I believe it was a 150, flew over the lunch spot when everybody was there and they dropped um, bags of ice cream sandwiches. Yeah, that's how the story goes. That's how I understand it.
1: Uh, that's amazing. And from that time, uh, I I mean, I remember many years ago when they were still doing it and they started the raffle where manufacturers and everybody donated and all the club members and all the guests, they started buying tickets. So that grew really, really huge over the years. And, I remember somewhere in the early nineties when manufacturers really started bringing on, and that's when they had to change the venue from the chamber of commerce uh, offices all the way out to the new place uh, just south of town. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Spanish trail arena.
1: Spanish trail arena, which has a huge indoor uh, facility as well as outdoor. Unfortunately last year, of course, Easter Jeep Safari was not held. So there was no, uh, no vendor show, and there was no giveaway. Whereas this year, uh, Tracy, you have some more information on the on the giveaway on the
0: raffle? They are still going to have the Big Friday giveaway, and it's going to be Facebook Live. Initially, it was you had to be present to win and they would call your number and you had to comment on Facebook. They've kind of changed that around. So now you're going to have to fill out your information on the back of your ticket that you get in your registration packet. Please make sure it's legible because if they can't read your name, or your contact information, it goes in file 13. And those that don't know file 13, it's the little round receptacle (laughs) that hides under your desk. So, if it's not legible and they cannot read it to contact you, then you don't have an opportunity to to win anything. But uh, still will be business as usual, just not in person. So for me, that's kind of a bonus because it means not choking down dust for multiple hours while everybody's loading out. You're sitting there in the arena and not sitting on those hard aluminum benches for hours and hours. So I kind of like the, right. the yeah. live aspect of this. But no, there will be no vendor show this year at um, mm-hmm. Spanish Trail Arena for Red Rock Four Wheelers. But uh, Dixie Four Wheel Drive, again, we've discussed this before, is having a vendor show. And we're going to turn this over to Greg and, and he'll fill us in on that one.
3: Yeah, so um, I have a little bit of information on the vendor show that's going to happen at Dixie, uh, mostly because Dixie actually hired me and unofficially Use only to help um, facilitate the vendor show. So I'm very fortunate to be a little shop here in Michigan, and I get to go all the way out there um, and help run the vendor show. So the vendor show that's going to be at Dixie it is not uh, the vendor show that we're used to at Spanish Trail Arena. Um, Dixie kind of stepped up because they're in a different County. And when the vendor show was, when the Red Rock vendor show was originally canceled, um, you know, so many people were distraught. Dixie decided they're a giant shop in Moab. They would, and they had a big piece of outdoor property um, that they would kind of step up and help fill that void. Um, So the vendor show has uh, 92 vendor booths and nine semis. Inside a um, enclosed outdoor area, so it is fenced in, um, as well as they've picked up a couple properties next to it, which will house, um, you know, a, a, another couple features. So feature one, feature two. Um, Bronco will be there with, uh, you know, some Fords, um, and then a lot of all of the companies that we're used to at the vendor show will be there. Um, another really cool part is the town of Moab, from what we're hearing. Um, has really stepped up, and they, there will be kind of like little tiny vendor areas all through town. So you'll have Walker Drug, but um, I heard yesterday even City Market I think is offering up some space. So um, Moab's really stepping up to help out with Easter Jeep Safari to show that you know the town supports it. So not only the vendor show that'll be out at Dixie, but um, you know you'll be able to go through town and see a bunch of other vendors, and I think that's really cool that the town is supporting this event so much even in this uncertain times that we're in right now. Um, but back to the vendor show at Dixie, it is outdoors, a hundred percent outdoors. Um, they will have to do the contract tracing. So if people want to go to the vendor show, um, wear your masks, there will be masks at the gate, which will be available for everybody if you don't have your own, because we want to make sure everybody's safe. Um, to get in you need a wristband um it is free entry but you do need a wristband and to get the wristband uh you have to get your temperature checked and go through the normal stuff that we're getting used to in this new normal that we have um but it it's all to everybody stay safe
0: you'll have to provide all your contact information
3: yep and all yeah, of that yeah normal contract tracing stuff so you you'll have to provide um to get into the vendor show, because it is technically an event, even though it's outdoors, um, with the standard COVID uh, contract tracing, people will have to give their name and an email um, and phone number, and then you get scanned with the thermometer. Because if you have a temperature, you know you really shouldn't be out amongst other people. I mean, we can social distance as much as possible, but if you've got a temperature, I'm sorry. You know, we, nobody wants to take the risk. Uh, go out and have fun on the trails. Don't don't put yourself in harm's way with other people. Um, but it should be a really good show. I think it's almost completely sold out, um, which means all the vendors. Yeah, all all all, all the days vendors uh, spots are pretty much full. Um, so you know it, it'll be a, a great one during Easter Jeep Safari to still be able to have one. But it is a hundred percent outside. So if you got bad weather, you know you got to you got to brave the weather. But it's it's the only way to get the event to happen um, during this pandemic that
2: we're in. Greg, but the weather's never bad in Moab. (laughs) No, no,
3: the weather's never bad. In fact, I remember, what was it, 2010, I was at the vendor show, and I was was working with AEV at the time, and I remember we were standing in the booth outside, and it was about 70 degrees at 11 o'clock in the morning, and at noon, we got four inches of snow and hurricane force winds, um, and then mm-hmm. by 3 p.m., it was 70 again. So That's um, Moab. You know, Moab. Yeah, Moab is beautiful. And it's, I mean, it's my favorite place on Earth. But, um, you know, it's a dry, arid climate. But the LaSalle Mountains are right behind you. So sometimes you do get the weather that comes off of there. And it is springtime. So, you know, be prepared.
1: So great. great. Yeah. Great. What days are the, are the is the show and what hours? Oh, man, now you're going to ask me questions. Um, that, that I, mean I can actually,
0: I can actually answer that for you. Um, the vendor show dates are the 30th and 31st of March show hours yep. are 9.00 AM to 5.00 PM.
3: Yep. 9.00 AM to 5.00 PM. And it is just two days. Um, and it's, it's earlier in the week, so it's Tuesday, Wednesday, but it's, uh, you know, it's still going to be a fun time.
2: Absolutely. So, you mentioned the vendor show as we're talking about. Remember, you're in the 90s, Rick. Remember when, when it was up at the Chamber of Commerce office? I remember, I think it was 95. Yep. And maybe tell. like 20 vendors. Mm-hmm. 20. And BF Goodrich showed up with their semi trailer, and I've been steward. And it was just like, whoa, uh,
1: Easter Jeep Safari has arrived. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, it grew considerably. <clears throat> During that time, late 90s and, of course, from then on, it used to be basically just a bunch of people going, getting together and going four wheeling with the the club. And then it grew and grew and grew. And so did the club. And as always, clubs have issues, towns have issues. And then we saw quite a big influx of anti-access people moving to Moab uh, because they wanted quite a bit of the place shut down. Whereas the Red Rock Four Wheelers just have their mud fund, multiple use uh, fund that helps keep things open. And they work really hard with the Bureau of Land Management to get permits and keep everything safe. So this year is no different. I think uh, what you were saying, Greg, about the town of Moab actually coming together and saying, hey, we really want you guys. Uh, that hasn't happened a lot in the last few years. So it's really a nice thing to see.
3: It is. And, you know, one thing I'd like to mention, and I'm not affiliated with any of those groups, but Tread Lightly or, you know, the, the Red Rocks four-wheelers, even if you're going to Easter Deep Safari and you're not registering with Red Rocks four-wheelers, seek out Red Rock or seek out Tread Lightly and make a donation um, because those, those groups are really helping to keep these trails open. So even if you're not a member of one of them or you're not going for their particular event, still seek them out and and help out because we need to keep these trail systems open. Also, if you go out and you're on a trail and you see somebody else's garbage, take it with you. Don't leave it on the trail. Uh, Let's let the town know that we accept and that we're happy that they're doing it and help clean up. You know, even if it's downtown, if you see something on the street, pick it up, show show the town that us as a Jeep organization and Jeep people want to make it better and leave it better. I mean, that's just something I always push. So I wanted to say it.
0: Yeah, and Grand County as well. I mean, they did amend the ordinance in order to allow this to happen. So, you know, let's show Grand County that we appreciate the amendment and that, you know, we're there to have fun, but at the same time, leave it better than we found it.
2: Yep. That's, you know, Greg, that's a um, really good point. Oh, there's an incredible number of people that go to each Deep Safari every year that actually don't register. Um, I don't know what that percentage is, but it is nice. I mean, if <clears throat> if they go by and they make a donation, you know, to Red Rock just because of what they do for the sport.
3: Yep. Yeah, and, and I'm one of those people. I mean, I've I've been to Moab nearly i think nearly 40 times now um i've never registered for easter jeep safari not once because I, I i used to always work for a company and then i started to go for myself but i always made a point to go into the vendor show and buy some raffle tickets and do some other things to help uh with red rock four wheelers and i always try and find tread lightly and some of the other organizations that help keep our trails open and you know give them 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever you can spare at the time because they're the reason that these trails stay open. Uh, not just because Jeepers have goodwill and try and help and clean things up, but because there's people literally fighting for our rights to continue to off-road.
1: And I think you'll find that uh, a lot of people just know about MOAB and they go, they don't realize that the actual Easter Jeep Safari is put on by the Red Rock four-wheelers. It is a four mm-hmm. wheel organization, <clears throat> excuse me. And they have multiple trails every day to different areas, not every trail every day, but it, they have plenty for everybody to do. So, of course, you have to sign up in advance and pay your money per trail for that. And they're usually limited to about 20, 25 vehicles, I think. Just depends
0: um, most, on the, well, most, I Yeah, most trails now are limited to 35 vehicles per registered trail. Uh, some of the more popular ones like fins and things, they will do a staggered departure Uh, so they can actually get more rigs on the trail. Back in the day when I first started going out there and leading trails and gunning trails for Red Rock four-wheelers, anybody could sign up. I mean, I remember one time on Steelbender, we had 62 vehicles. That makes for a really, really long day on the trail.
1: (laughs) That's too long a day.
0: That's too long a day. So now they've limited it to 35 vehicles on most trails. There may be a few that are a little little bit less. Uh, You can find the uh, magazine online and you can look through and see what trails are being run when. They opened general registration this past week. And uh, I think most of the trails have sold out. And and one of the really
3: good things about the growth of the club and what the club's been doing for Easter Jeep Safari, um, if you do go on and you register for a trail, you have to click all the boxes, right? You have to meet the requirements for the trail, which helps the trail move along. So, you know, you don't have somebody in the middle of the pack on Moab Rim that's running a bone stock Jeep. Um, you know, the Jeep might be able to do the trail with the right spotter and the right person and the right driver and everything else. But when you're in a group of 35, that can delay that trail immensely. So, Red Rock has really narrowed down the requirements for each individual trail, and it'll tell you, you know, you need 35s, and you need lockers, and you need a winch, and you need all these different things to be eligible for that trail, um, which really helps speed up the process when you have big groups like that. So, I mean, Red Rock has just continually improved every year, so Mm -hmm. definitely sign up, um, register, and and you'll get on the right trail, and you'll have a blast.
0: what? I was going to say, um, if, if the um, trails are all sold out that, that you guys really want to go out and do, still come to Moab. Support the town. You can still buy your ticket for the Friday giveaway. You can still donate to the Mud Fund. You can still experience Easter Jeep Safari and still have some great wheeling.
4: Oh, 100%. I want to jump in real quick. Um, yes, as sir. the newest person. So I've been to Moab a total of three times and one of them was for rock climbing. So not even Jeep related. Um, But I I was looking at the Jeeps while I was there going, ooh, someday. Um, So the first time I went to Moab with my Jeep, which would have been this one, the 53rd. uh, So the last Easter Jeep Safari that happened. um, I was really, really nervous to get out there. Being new to Jeeps, having a YJ that's not quite stock, but close. Um, and, and really never being out West much at all. Um, I was very nervous about it. And so that was one thing I liked about the Red Rock was I went on, I made an account, I, I got the magazine, went through the trails. And like Greg said, there's an online portal. You tell them my tires are this big. I have this many lockers, ex- et cetera. And they won't let you sign up for the trails that you can't do. Um, which that to me was huge because, here I am going, I don't know if I'm going to fall off a cliff or break my Jeep because I drove the Jeep out and I drove the Jeep home. So not breaking down was really important to me. Um, and not falling off a cliff was also really <laughs> important to me. And so that whole experience was really, really good for the first time. And I will say to anyone else who wants to go to Moab but is terrified of the the idea of driving on rocks near cliff edge, just do it. Um, it, it is a ton of fun and there are trails for beginners and there's a lot of people that will take time to tell you, go here, not here. They'll spot you. Um, The community is excellent and you can meet a lot of really cool people and have a blast.
3: Yeah. And, you know, to add to that, even if you haven't signed up and you're still going to Moab to support the town and support the event, um, there are trail guides. There's, you know, Nina Barlow and Dan Mick and, you know, a bunch of others who anytime you go throughout the year you can get a a trail guide who knows the trail, even if you're not familiar with Moab. Um, So it it really is a town catered to it. In fact, a a little anecdote, which is fun, Um, when you first roll into town, so at the north end of town, on the left side, you'll see this rock shop, which sells rocks because Moab is known for rocks. Um, That rock shop was started by a gentleman named Lynn Ottinger, and Lynn Ottinger is one of the most famous people when it comes to rocks. you know, if you, so if you're a rock hound, you've probably heard his name. So he lives in Moab full time. And he was, I think, the very first tour guide ever in Moab. And he used to do the trails that we do on our Jeeps with 21 window school buses, uh, the 21 window VW buses. VWs, um, yeah, yeah. I, I have pictures of him going across the Golden Crack. And for anybody who's been to Moab and driven the trail to get to the Golden Crack, just imagine a twenty-one window VW bus that's two-wheel drive making that trail. It's um, loaded with tourists. Yeah, loaded with tourists. Okay. And Lynn, Lynn still lives in the town, and he has he's got a warehouse outside of town. He's got about ten of those buses still um, hmm. in in his little shop, and he's a great guy. But you know, Moab's been tour guidey and off roady for you know fifty years, over fifty years. It's it's a wonderful place to visit.
1: And that's the cool thing about it is that there's lots of trails, lots of names of trails, famous ones. And for the most part, once you get your Jeep to a certain degree like at least 33s and lockers, you can make most of the trails. I think everybody Oh knows. yeah.
3: Look at a couple of years ago when the when the Willy's guys were there with almost bone stock Willys and they were doing trails like Moab Brim on 31-inch okay. tires. You know, I mean it's it's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, speaking of trails, we all know the names of some of them. Metal Masher, etc. Moab Rim. What are your guys' favorite trail? Chris, start with you.
2: Oh, man, that's a good question. All right, so it's not um, one of the famous hardcore rock crawling kind of trails. I actually partially like taking a few days and doing Lockhart Basin or the White Rim Trail and uh, getting permits and camping out there. It's just like, it's remote. It's like beautiful backcountry Moab. I mean, you do need four-wheel drive, you know, And uh, but it's not like running Pritchett Canyon. And it's just like, we're talking about artifacts. There's all kinds of cool stuff out there. Um, I was camped uh, in Lockhart Basin around 1990. A buddy of mine and I were out there and we had seen the switchback um, up a scree field um, to that white layer where they found or the gray layer where they found the uranium deposits We're like, you know what? And it had a, had a cat track of it. And the guy that, um, that drove that cat, it, the, the cat actually probably had two seats, you know, one for him and one for <laughs> his going <laughs> Cause it was a heck of a trail getting up there. Anyway, we get up there, there's a hole punched in the side. That's what we went up to look at at the mine. And, um, there was actually a full case of dynamite sitting back in the back of this uh with the with the claim stake stuck on the side of the uh, of the mine it's no longer yes. there um sorry so that's a little dangerous it was in fact my buddy i went and looked at i was like holy moly and it was starting to leach out in the bottom the glycerate <laughs> and i walked back out to the it was about 50 feet deep and i walked back out to the edge of the canyon and i turn around and my buddy's down there on his knee with his hand on this case, starting to try to pull it apart. And I was just like, I freaked out. I'm like, yeah, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, I want to take a piece home. <laughs> like, I <laughs> was just walking out around the corner. I'm like, stop, stop blah, blah. anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I like that type of thing. You know, I like the hard car stuff, but Ooh. the backcountry in Moab, and you don't see a lot of people out there either.
1: Right. How about you, Stu? What's your favorite? You've been going out there for good.
5: 20 some 30 years uh, there. Let me unmute there. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it's you know been quite a few years and uh, uh, you know kind of to to um, ricochet a little bit off of what uh, Chris was talking about. I mean, I've you know I've done some really hardcore stuff uh, and you know and that has its place. I mean, it's just you know the adrenaline rush you get from. You know doing you know harebrained obstacles is uh, <laughs> incredible but um you know one of my favorite trails is uh just uh, going out to potash road I, and i i don't know if, how many of you guys have done that but that's um part of the view on my screen behind me and um it it's actually really easy. I mean, it's, it's honestly a graded road for quite a, you know, a few miles and then the rest is just nicely packed two track. But um, it's kind of interesting because you're sort of halfway in between this point right behind me. If you want to go out there for just a day trip, it's a great lunch stop and it's about halfway in between dead horse state park, which is, you know a couple thousand feet below you and then the colorado river which is uh, probably another thousand feet below you and um, just a a fun half day and uh, and great little trail that's absolutely one of my favorites
2: that's a great one and if you follow that up into the park and across the other side it'll take you down to mineral bottom which is the end point for the white room trail, which will take you all the way back around to Potash road.
5: Right. Yep.
3: And it on just, Potash road, it you've just got finds
5: uh, it's way up the cliff all the way to the top of the park.
3: Yep. And there's uh, off of Potash road, you've got um, some beautiful petroglyphs that you can find. There's even a couple spots with dinosaur tracks and dinosaur footprints. So, you know, it, it's just, it's a beautiful spot.
0: You know, you mentioned white room trail and I Think if I'm not mistaken, that's one of Tyler's favorite trails, isn't it?
6: Yeah, it's that's got a prob. That's probably my favorite. Um, it's more of a what I would call an overlanding trail than a. It's not got a lot of ro- uh, technical rock crawling. In fact, it's not really got any technical rock crawling on it. But it is definitely high clearance um, four wheel drive. But I like to do it from the Northwest and go counterclockwise. Um, and if you time it just right, if you go in sort of late in the evening, up on the Northwest, go in and reserve one of those campsites up in the Northwest section. Stay the night there. You'll see a, a just amazing light coming down those, those maces and cliff faces as the sun sets. Then you get up in the morning and you start heading south. And if you time it right, just as you're coming up that potash road up that those switchbacks that Stuart was talking about, you'll catch the sunset again, and the sunset on that road is you you've never seen anything like it, and you'll never forget it um the thing i the amazing thing about the white rim road or is is that it's just vista after vista after vista. I mean, every time you come around a turn, you're like, oh, it can't get better than this. And Then you come around the next turn, you're like, okay, it can't get better than this. And then you come around the next turn, <laughs> you end up out, out there and the, looking at the needles district and whatever. I mean, it's it's amazing. But if you do that trail, you've got to give yourself time enough to take photographs and to take the little side shoot roads to go out and, and you can see the needles overlook and some things like that. I saw a herd of desert bighorns last time I did it. Got some amazing footage of some desert bighorn that came across the road seventy yards ahead of me. It's just what an amazing trail. Um, but it's a hundred miles. You can do it in a day, but it's that's a long day. Um,
1: That's a long
6: trail. (laughs) That's a long trail. Doing it in a day, I don't know that you could do it and get home. Before dark, and you'd be really tired. There's a lot of mountain bike traffic on it. There's motorcycles on it, you know, so it's not a trail that you want to do in a hurry. Um, But it also has very limited, there's only 20 campsites or 20 camp spaces, and I think 10 sites, Mm. and they're by reservation only. It's completely primitive, there's no services. And those are the only designated campsites. If you can't get one of those reserved, there's no camping off trail. So that's nice in that it limits the traffic to a certain degree, but just what an amazing trail, just Vista after Vista after Vista. It's beautiful. I, I enjoyed it so much more than even some of the technical trails that I've been on, you know, it. It's a different kind of fun, I guess.
1: Right. I think that's what we've all found, that obstacles and slick rock and gnarly, nearly killing yourself, falling off cliff edges and things like that and rolling over is all pretty cool. But so is the longer trips where you relax and see the beauty. Uh, there, and there's plenty of that in Moab where you don't even need low range, although it sure is handy to have. Tracy, what's one of your favorite trails?
0: You mean I can only pick one? No, you go two, because I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're wow. the co-host, so, you know. Yeah. Right, oh, okay. I, I'm going to mention a few. You've got the highly trafficked fins and things, and that that's always one of my favorites for a quick shakedown because you can do the first section of it. Great, great place just to go out, hit the first section of it, and, and shake the cobwebs out of the Jeep after winter storage. But uh, I also like Steelbender. And, you know, it's got some gnarly stuff, but it's gorgeous and it's fun. I would have to say my absolute favorite, though, is not a normal EJS trail. Well, they don't run it during Easter Jeep Safari, period. And it's not a well-known trail, and it's called Tower Arch. Mm. And it's northeast of Moab. So you'll drive out 191 and you'll go past the shell station and and the teepees and what is it? Moab under the sky or whatever the tent camp, camping place where you pay premium big bucks to go (laughs) sleep in tents. But then you head off to the East and you follow a fairly well-maintained road for a while. And then you see a little sign that says high clearance required. And you kind of turn off to the left. And you follow it back through a lot of sand and some gorgeous washes. And then there's one slick rock climb followed by this huge long sand hill. And depending on the weather, it's either going to be fairly hard packed underneath the surface sand or you're going to get buried. And it's, it's really cool. You'll get to the T intersection. You'll turn left and you'll go over some small ledges and you get out to tower arch and you get to hike down through there and you're out by the marching men and Klondike bluffs and all of that coming out. You can either backtrack and go out the way that you came in, or you can follow it through some more technical stuff. And then you end up on salt. I believe it's salt Valley road which is about 10 or 12 miles of most of the time solid washboard. It will jar your fillings loose, make you wish that there was enough cover there to stop for the facilities about every 100 yards. It's so badly washboarded. This is your favorite. (laughs) My favorite. This is my favorite. Oh, it must be worth it. <laughs> yeah, because you end up when you T intersect with pavement finally at Skyview Arch at the top of Arches National Park.
1: Right, and then exit through the park?
0: You can exit through the park, or you can go down to Balance Rock and then hang a right and go back out the fairly improved dirt road.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: That That's one of my favorites. You you can't beat the scenery out there. I mean, you can look back and see the LaSalle's. You can, as you're coming in, you look back and you see Monitor and Mary Mac and it, and it's mm-hmm. not a highly trafficked trip. It's very enjoyable. A lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And, and there are so many people at uh, Moab during the Easter Jeep Safari. Sometimes it's better to go off by yourself and find those, those cool roads. Rather than trying to fight the traffic. And speaking of which, if the Red Rock four wheelers are running a trail on a certain day, that it is closed to everybody else. They have monitors front and rear, so they can get their group in and out.
0: And then of course, not every trail though, Rick. Um, most
1: most important mo- trail, especially all most the and popular ones. Right. Yeah, some of them, there's no problem.
0: Right, and. I guess the other out of the way trail, and it's kind of a, a long way to get there, it, it's easy, but it's beautiful, would be Secret Spire.
1: Secret Spire, um, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I've got a whole bunch of favorites, but I'm I want to give us yeah, two. It's, Come on.
0: I, I want to know what Liam's favorite so far is that he's been on.
4: Yeah, so I'm gonna only pick from the trails that I've driven on. Um I rode a couple with Greg uh late last year, and those were pretty fun, but I want to pick ones that my YJ's been on. And so I've been on three. I did Copper Ridge, I did Secret Spire, and I did uh Cameo Cliffs. And my favorite of those three was Cameo Cliffs, which was a new trail uh guided by Red Rock the year I went, so the last last EJS. And I can't remember what it was rated. It was either a three or four. And let's say, let's say if it's a three, it should have been a four. Um, whereas Copper Ridge was a four and it should have been a three. Um, so we, we get out to Cameo Cliffs and it is just, you know, you're kind of going through all kinds of different landscape. Um, some sand, uh, there's some shrubbery. And then obviously there's cliffs about the middle of the trail, I'd say. Where there it puts you with a wall on one side and a drop off on the other, and you're a little off camera towards the drop off. There's plenty of room for your jeep, but you know that doesn't matter in your mind because there's, there's a drop off. Like. <laughs> um, it's not very technical in that area at all, but it's enough to get your blood pumping and you know the adrenaline running. Yet it was being run by me with 31s. There were stock uh, JLS JKs out there. Um, you know, lots of, there's was, was kind of a family trip with enough technical aspect to still stretch your Jeep. I I did, because uh, I took video of my wheels as I was going, and I definitely hit max flex uh, at times going over certain rocks. And I scraped uh, a little bit on approach and departure angles, but nothing that was going to break my Jeep. Uh, just enough really to have a good time, feel like you did a technical trail. You, you got your blood pumping, but also you're going to get home safe. And the views were phenomenal. Um, and it kept it going the whole time. It's not like obstacle road, obstacle road. It was just light obstacles, the whole, whole trip. And, uh,
1: I was really impressed with it. I had a lot of fun. And I, I haven't done that one myself. So that's something to look forward to.
2: Yeah.
1: It comes recommended. Highly recommended.
2: That's awesome. You talk about views I mean, I, I'm like everybody, I'm like Greg, you know, I've been there many times and I always look forward to um, Eastern Jeep Safari or just going to Moab. I've been there in a lot of off event, you know, off weeks. Uh, but I come in from Highway 50, Highway 70 side. And every time without question, I just start dropping into that canyon and you see these incredible red rock cliffs spiring up, you know, towering up on both sides and you cross the park and you're just like, ah, I've arrived.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I mean, Red Rock is special.
0: 30 some odd years ago, I had driven back and forth through Moab on my way to Arizona, Colorado, back and forth dozens of times. And it looked interesting. But you don't see anything in Moab until you get off the pavement. Mm-hmm. And then it's a whole new world.
1: Yes, it, it really is incredible. Uh, Greg. What's your favorite? Oh boy. <laughs> well, uh, I'm actually
3: gonna strike on a few, but I'm gonna do very short clips of each, just a couple highlights. Um a trail that I'm not super, you know, it's not like one of my top favorites, but Cane Creek. I love after you go over Hamburger Hill on Cane Creek when you're when you're riding along the kind of cliff edge. And you can see a couple of the old cars from the fifties and sixties that have fallen off of the cliff 30 (laughs) and 40 years ago. So I like that on cane Creek. Um, there's a couple other fun trails. Uh, metal masher is one of my top trails. I love it. Um, you can do it in a stock vehicle or you can do it in a highly modified vehicle because there's, you know, it's got a little bit of everything. Um, but I really love the point when you get to the overlook at the top, So the very top of Metal Masher, you have this beautiful overlook with about a 1400 foot cliff. Um, And if you time it right, just like Tyler kept saying about timing, if you hit that trail like right after lunch, you'll get to the top right as the sun is starting to set. And if you look across the highway, uh, because you can see the highway, you know, 1400 feet below you. If you look across and south just a little bit, as the sun starts to set, you can see uh, shadows of the arches from Arches National Park. So the arches will make these giant, beautiful shadows, and you can see the light beaming through them. So I really like that. Um, You can also see that same... What's that, Tracy?
0: It's one of my favorite trails to watch the moon rise from that vantage point. Because Easter Jeep Safari, there is always a full moon during EJS. And to watch the full moon come up behind those arches from the top of Metal Masher is unbelievable.
3: Yep. Uh, The top of Seven Mile Rim, you can kind of get the same views. Mm -hmm. But Metal Masher, I like more. Um, Favorite, hands down favorite trail um, is definitely Moab Rim. Um, I do Moab Rim every time I go to Moab. Usually at least once, sometimes more. Um, and I love doing Moab rim on a full moon night. So even if I don't have a lot of other people with me, if it's just me or a couple of vehicles, or even by myself, um, I'll do a Moab rim by moonlight, which means tape up your taillights, turn off your headlights, um, let your retinas adjust, because you can actually see, you know, cause the lack of the pollution, you can see miles with the naked eye under the moonlight. Um, but Moab Rim, it's, you know, the first 500 yards, there's definitely some technical things and you're overlooking the, the river, the Colorado river, but my favorite part of Moab Rim, um, a lot of people never do it. They never get the full experience of Moab Rim. When you get to the top and you overlook Moab, don't stop. If you keep going, there's sand dunes. There's some, some really technical things that you can play on where you really twist up your Jeep. But if you keep going, um, and near the end of the trail, there's a bypass. And you can either go to the second overlook of Moab, or if you go to the right, um, you'll have to hike a couple hundred yards. But there's a there's a rock outcropping that has hundreds and hundreds of Indian petroglyphs on it. Um, And there's a little crevasse that if you're really willing, you can climb the crevasse. And on top of it, is an Indian fort from I, I think it's been carbon dated somewhere between 1000 and 2000 years old, you know, so there's these hand stacked rocks that indigenous people put there over 1000 years ago, you know, and that was their home. And And it's it's just really cool to see stuff like that. Um, it was actually in October, I, I brought Liam and a few other people, uh, even Fred Williams, I brought Fred up there, and he'd never seen that he'd done that trail dozens of times and never seen that. Um, but I was a little disappointed that the, the rocks, the hand stacked rocks on top of the crevasse that you have to climb um, have actually been desecrated. People have been adding rocks to it. So it used to be about a foot, foot and a half tall and now it's about three and a half feet tall. Um, and that really bums me out that people are you know, defacing such a huge, you know, such a cool thing. Um, but that's, that's my all time favorite trail in the world. I love Moabrim. Um, if I didn't have a Jeep, I would walk it, you know, it's just such a beautiful spot. Um, metal master second. And then I have a few other top trails. Like I love doing fins and things at night, uh, with no headlights and, um, but yeah, Moab is definitely my top. I, I, I love that trail.
2: So Greg, speaking of hiking, there's an arch out there off of the rim trail too, right? And a little yeah. So, um, basis of water.
3: Well, there's actually on Moab Rim um, when you're first going up. So the first 500 yards, which um, pucker some people up, um, I actually think it's really easy. It's not a hard trail. I've done it at a bone stock Sahara all the way up to the rigs that I build on 37s and you know big horsepowers. But um, w- when you're going up Moab Rim, if you look across the Colorado River um, and up, you'll see there's a couple arches well, there's one arch that's forming and then there's another one that is clearly visible from Moab Rim. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of arches that are not in Arches National Park. Um, there's another one forming on Seven Mile Rim that's almost formed. Um, there's one South of town, you know, there's, there's multiple arches throughout Moab, but, um, I look more for the things like not really the natural things, but the unnatural things. I, I love finding all of the different dinosaur footprints in Moab because there's like five different trails and then there's some hiking trails. You can find them in the Indian petroglyphs and things like that. Um, in fact, a lot of people don't know right outside of Moab. So north of Moab right off the highway, um, are the oldest petroglyphs in the world. So they're called the ancient ones. If you've ever watched any of the alien conspiracy TV shows, they always show them in the background. And they're, you know, these beautiful hand-drawn, like, red um, aliens and people from, I, I forget the exact dating, but ten to 20,000 years ago, those were drawn on the wall. And that's a 10-minute drive from Moab.
1: That's what a lot of people don't realize, that there's a heck of a lot to, more to do in Moab than just go jeeping. Yeah, uh, Moab is actually can, in the center I of the can, Dinosaur Diamond. Dinosaur Diamond, that's right. But you also have your other activities like kayaking and river running, uh, bicycles. So, I mean, they're on the trails and forests, and of Entography. course, side by side. So you you got to be watching. You got you got to actually share the trail with a whole bunch of other user groups, and including hikers, of course. Yep. And I've I've learned,
3: you know, with all my trips to Moab, most of my knowledge of Moab has been learned from Nina Barlow and Dan Mick. And some of the tour guides that live in town, because they learn all this stuff and then they share it with you when you're on a when you're on an actual guided tour. Um, so it's it's well worth booking a tour with you know one of the well known tour guides like Dan Mick or Nina Barlow or any of the other ones because you'll pick up all that additional knowledge that makes Moab so much more unique than just an off roading place.
1: Well, that's one thing about Dan Mick. For those that don't know who he is, he's probably I don't want to say the oldest. Guide <laughs> in in Moab, but he's well. Uh,
0: that's of Dan right that's, behind me.
1: Okay, if, you, yep. if, you, if you're watching our uh, our video, you can see trick behind Tracy is Dan and his Jeep, and he's he even has one of his old tour jeeps, half of it, inside the brewery. And the brewery, of course, is a local Moab icon. But he's got one of
3: his tour out. jeeps here in Michigan with me that we've done a video on our YouTube.
1: Right. Yeah, 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 you're redoing one of his so. Yeah, he's definitely a, a local character to say the least. It's had a big influence on the club and the town and everything else.
0: Yeah. Right, so, so, Rick, what's your favorite trail in Moab?
1: Uh favorite trail in Moab. I had to pick one. It would be between. Okay, you can have two.
0: You're the host.
1: Pritchett Canyon and Hell's Revenge. So Pritchett Canyon is. I believe an all day affair. It's got some killer, killer four wheeling. Um, propensity to roll is definitely there if you're not careful. It's got body damage of, guaranteed almost. Body damage, well, almost guaranteed. If you don't know what you're doing, you betcha. Uh, it goes along a beautiful creek. There's, the scenery is fantastic. Um, a few tough spots that people who know how to spot you can make them look easy, and you can walk right up. Can a stock vehicle do it? Absolutely. Should it? Not if you don't know how to drive. Uh, again, beautiful views. It's got one real difficult obstacle at the end, but there's ways around it, of course, which is always work. If you want something shorter that also packs everything you about Moab into, into your trip, I, would, I, I do have to say uh, Hell's Revenge. It's solid slick rock the whole way. It has hot tubs you can drive in and out of. It has ah, straight up a, a sense where you're just hoping everything works well and then the same way going down. Uh, of course, it's all slick rock, which isn't slick. It's sandstone. So you have great grip if you have rubber tires. You have very poor grip if you have steel wagon wheels, which is how the name slick rock came about. Because obviously, when you're traversing all that hard sandstone with steel wheels, there's no traction. You're just hoping your horse is going to pull you up and up and over. Um, Moab Rim, uh, excuse me. Uh, One of the things about Hell's Revenge is it also has really difficult places like the escalator uh, and tip over challenge at the end. Whereas the most of it can be done in a fairly stock vehicle. So you have both sides of it. And talking about Greg's favorite, one of my least favorite is Moab Rim. And I'll tell you why. Now I've been up and down it in tens of twenties of different vehicles. I took the first stock Rubicons up there. It's a beautiful trail. Pucker factor the first 500 yards, absolutely. Once you get past that, and and I think Stu even was talking about the, the right hand turn, the little crack that picks you right up. You get past that, and yeah, the, the sand dunes in the back, the petroglyphs, that's all incredible stuff. Biggest problem with Moab Rim is it is on a rim, and it's the trail is right next to it. If you do have a problem, like something breaks, or your brakes go out, or you're steering, or you're not paying attention like some people have, you can roll. And if you roll, that's not really a big problem, as long as you stop. But because you're so close to the edge, you can go over and that's really not what's going to kill you because on the way down, you'll hit the power lines, which are below, and you'll get electrocuted. And if that doesn't kill you, you'll hit, you hit the fire. road. And if that doesn't kill you, the cement truck coming along on that haul road will punch you into the river and you'll drown. <laughs> so, and if
5: that doesn't kill you. You're drowned in the river.
1: Absolutely. So, I don't want to drown. All right. The other stuff is okay.
0: Oh, you want to be electrocuted and smacked by a haul truck and okay. Well,
1: I, I can live through that, but drowning. No, I mean, by then you're a goner.
5: Rick, it's all psychological. You have to just put that out of your mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, the the minute I would, I knew I was going over the edge, I'd have a heart attack and be dead before I hit the power line. So
3: it, it. well, the funny part is because is I've done that trail so many times and the couple places where people roll, um, because during Easter Jeep Safari, I don't think I've ever been at an Easter Jeep Safari where at least one person didn't roll every day on Moab Rim. Um, usually they roll from just bad spotters or bad placement or they're not paying attention.
1: Yeah. Um, and usually, usually it's just it, a flop,
3: not a real roll. Right. But at any of those places where people do roll, um, you would have to roll like 15 or 20 times before right. you made it to the edge. Right, because um, you gain speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: They'd probably clear the power lines.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <snowball of> death. <laughs> no, I didn't put that into the <laughs> equation, okay? If you roll enough times, you'll be flung straight into the river and drown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's only what, 500 feet? 1, um, well, it, well,
3: yeah, so it, it goes from zero because you start at the road um, up to, I think that near the top, you're close to 800 feet.
1: Yeah. You know, so right and up, then it goes right. up from
3: there. But when you're on the actual ledge, yeah, you're you're close. i
1: 500.
3: That's, that's enough. That's, I, I love taking new people, people who haven't been to Moab yet, and I take them up Moab Rim um, at night. So I make mm-hmm. them do it at night with their headlights on because all you can see is what your headlights are lighting up. You can't right. see the fall to your doom. Mm-hmm. All you see is what's in <laughs> front of you. And then the next day, you take them up it again in broad daylight, and they're like, oh, my God. I can't believe I did this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, since we're talking about Moab and lots of cool stuff to do around Moab, I know we all have a favorite place to eat in Moab. <laughs> well, tell me the Moab weekend. Diner.
1: Okay, Moab Diner is an icon. It is right in the center of town, um,
3: and it's standard American cuisine. That's simple. It's the best breakfast. Um, that's why I go there just for the breakfast.
1: Yep, and they'll cook you an undercooked egg. Oh, they will. Oh yeah. Yep, if that's how you want it. My darn you! It's what you're going to get. It's it's America.
0: Yeah,
3: and ice cream. Best place for ice cream in town. I agree. I
2: agree. Yeah, the diner is definitely a, a must-do while you're in town. Which
1: is usually it's packed.
2: When yeah, but it's kind of like the the gathering point in the morning if we don't have something hard on the schedule. You just kind of show up and, you know, you'll run into people you know. It's like the Cheers yeah. Bar, Moab. Well, and, <laughs> and
3: years ago, um, it's not so much now because Moab's getting so populated, but, <laughs> but years ago, I mean, even 10 years ago, in the middle of winter, if you went to Moab, the diner was one of the only restaurants that stayed open year-round.
1: Right, because it wasn't strictly a touristy place. Right. Tracy, what's your favorite?
0: I have two. Well, you're, again, you're a co host. you two things: Milt's for a burger. Oh, it, it, it's been yeah. there for forever and ever and ever. And my new favorite in the past, what, five or six years is the Quesadilla Mobile that is right off of Main Street. And I think it's one south. Or is it on center? It's, it's, it's the food it's, truck. Yeah, it's a little food truck, and they have the best quesadillas. I kid you not; they're over an inch thick, and you eat two slices. You have two slices to wrap in foil and throw on the engine for the trail for the next day.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: there's a cool. there's a little Mexican restaurant in town too. That's um, it's like a fast food Mexican. I can't remember the name of it, um, but it's it's absolutely phenomenal and it's so cheap, and the portions are massive. But I don't remember the name of it. I go there every time I'm in Moab.
4: Liam, did you go with him? Uh, well, the place he's talking about, if I remember correct, they're also one of the few places open later at night uh, yep. for cheap, and that's that's why I've been there so many times because <laughs> I'll get back and it's like, well, shoot, it's nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. We haven't had supper yet, um, and so then we'd go there. But I would say for me, and it's only because of <laughs> because of a beer is the spoke because they have an Apricot Hefenweizen, and it's really good. So I always stop there.
1: That's going out on a limb there for an Apricot Hefenweizen. Apricot Hefenweizen? Mm.
4: It's very good.
1: <laughs> it?
3: How skinny are your jeans, young man? What? Nothing. Okay. Nothing, sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, but hey, you, you not know, at a restaurant, so... I gotta how about, support. The, uh, how about the brewery?
5: They uh they do make a really good burger at the spoke. And so it when when milts is, you know, when the line is like 40 deep and you don't want to spend an hour and a half waiting, the spoke has a really great cheeseburger. So but I'm not touching those fruity fruit fruit drinks, Liam.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's not a fruity drink. It's a it's a German beer.
1: But yes, apricots apricot. are fruit.
4: Okay. Yes.
5: Right. With so I,
0: I, I have a non-cheap question, Liam. Okay. Do you wear dress-style loafers with no socks? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder how. We'll we'll dive deeper into the wheres and the whys of Liam.
1: I wear them with socks. <laughs> 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 All right. Who wears sandals? Oh, uh, just me. Oh, uh, no, okay. I wear it. Right.
3: Sometimes. I, uh, I know. It, when it's winter here in Michigan, I have to put boots on, but you'll notice in summer or anywhere else, usually, if I'm not in a really weird footwear, like uh, five finger shoes or something, I'm in flip flops. Yeah, but I you, just, you
1: also wear a kilt. Yeah, but that's not what's weird. What's wrong that's, with that's wearing heritage. a kilt? In winter?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Okay. Have, have have you ever seen a true traditional kilt? They're made of eight yards of wool. Mm-hmm. I don't wear them in the winter because I would sweat. Um, mm-hmm. In the summer, they're great because I want to know chafing. No. There's no chafing goes away. There's you know <laughs> they're they're very comfortable.
0: Chris, what's your there's stuff to be said for air. Yes. <laughs> Tyler, where's your? <laughs> <laughs>
6: Oh, what's that little uh, barbecue place? Oh, it's like the pig or the...
0: the blue pig. pig.
6: The blue pig. They're burnt tips. Burnt tips at the blue pig. Holy crap. Your tongue will jump out of your face and slap you. It is so good. It is just... Ooh. Well, there you go. Not
0: cheap, though. No. <laughs> well, Stu, we- favorite? Pardon? what rick
1: chris i thought we were dinner. asking
0: chris what his favorite was he said the diner he jumped into in the beginning with the diner so Stu, yeah, where's your favorite place round.
1: to eat yeah for
2: breakfast the diner um you know i always will go into the brewery and they've got good hamburgers i'm a hamburger guy so they got a pretty good burger and um you know but it, that gets kind of crowded as well so on an off off uh off Easter jeep safari week uh I'll, if i'm cruising through town and the diner or the, or the brewery and then i used to like bucks bucks was good too stew and of course the the hacienda mexican food yeah the hacienda is but i good. only get one right just go ahead sorry
5: no no problem yeah honestly um one of the things you know one of the other aspects of moab that make it such a great place is that there's a lot of really good food <laughs> yeah you know, there is it, It's kind of hard to believe because, you you know, if you've never been there before, you'd never guess. But um, to be honest, there's, uh, I mean, I like the Moab Brewery because you can get just about anything and and they actually have good beer. And, you know, Milts or the Spoke, if I'm going to go for hamburger. But um, there's this little uh, Chinese place that's right next to the Greenwell Hotel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's actually pretty good. So I never had that. I end up going there every trip. You need to try it. Yeah, it's a good place.
1: Yeah, and they, and they have a buffet. Well, they did have buffet style as well, so but who knows now? All right, so my vote is, I think it has to be the Jailhouse. Jailhouse for breakfast. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're,
1: they're, they're like Swedish.
0: Their Swedish pancakes with lingonberries are really, really good.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost foo foo. It It is is foo foo. It's not almost about it for sure. Okay, Moab diner—that's all American. Kill you with a heart attack. Perfect food. Jailhouse is a little bit different.
0: The one place that nobody has touched upon, and for me, it's kind of the best bang for the buck. And that's Zach's Pizza, their all-you-can-eat pizza buffet is oh, yeah, right on the yeah. corner.
1: Yeah, yeah. Zach's good. and downstairs; it's great. And then, of
3: course, there's usually know. some really big parties at Zach's during Easter Jeep Safari, but I don't know if they'll you have. Let's see this what
1: happens this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you got Pasta Jays across the street. That's always good. Yep, awesome. that's always good.
0: Yeah, there, there's there's a, a lot of good stuff in Moab, and and. A lot of things to do besides jeeping. They've got museum and they've got bowling alley and movie theater. I don't know how those things are going this year, but uh, I think that pretty much wraps up Moab.
1: Yeah, I think that's It's one of those places where you have to go uh, at least once in your jeeping career. Just like the Rubicon, it's, it's a bucket list sort of thing. Uh, some people will do it a year, every year, again and again and again. Of course, when I was in the business, I I had to go every year again and again and again. And fortunately, I liked it and still do. And I'm looking forward to going out there this year, especially with our Gone Jeep and crew.
0: Well, a couple of the guys had to bail on us. They had some other stuff going on. So uh, we're left with Tyler and Liam and Chris and Rick and myself. We've got a follow-up question to... Uh, toolbox talk. And this comes to us via email from AJ. He says, Hi, I love the podcast and videos. Thanks for putting them together. On a recent podcast, you touched on something I was curious about and would like to know a little bit more about. You had a discuss you had discussed running a lunchbox locker or spool with manual hubs and running one hub unlocked. I was considering doing just that up front and also in the rear as I have a full float Dana 44 with lockout hubs in the back too. As I understand it, an open differential will send power to the wheel with the least amount of traction all of the time. If I ran an auto locker or spool with only one hub locked, only one wheel per axle would receive power, but it would be the one that needed it more often than an open diff, right? Am I nuts? Are there downsides that I'm missing? I would love to hear Rick and the crew discuss this a little further. Thanks, AJ.
1: That's a really a multi-part answer because he's, he's not nuts and it is really common for people to do something similar. The reason is especially with a spool you have 100 percent power going to both axles if you have it in the front you will have difficulty turning so what people do is they unlock one hub for a turn and then lock it back in so it's a lot of effort for very little gain my preference would be to run like a lunchbox locker or a regular automatic locker because the idea is when it isn't being powered, it will unlock on one side or the other. That's the whole idea behind it. It will unlock if you get off the power. You may have to jiggle it a little, but that's how it works. Unlike an open differential, which will never lock back up, a locker will. So, Tyler, what are you, your thoughts?
6: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> technically what he's saying is possible, but how many times do you want to get in and out of your vehicle on a trail, really? I mean, are you going to mm-hmm. get out and unlock a hub every time you have to turn? Do you yeah. have, unless you've got hydraulic steering, at least hydraulic assist steering, you're not going to be able to run a trail with a locker up front or a spool up front because you just aren't going to be able to turn. Um, and I, you know, especially on a real technical trail, sometimes you you need the locker to get up here. Now you got to turn really tight. Now you got to get the lo- locker to get up here. Oh, now I got to turn really tight this way. Are you really gonna put your vehicle in park or emergency brake on? Get out, unlock a hub, (laughs) turn five feet, get back in. It's just impractical.
1: Driver out there, (laughs) yeah,
6: yeah. Yeah,
1: I I guess if you're trunk, that right?
6: Yeah, you need a a trunk monkey to be unlocking and locking your hubs all the time. So technically, would it work? Yeah, I think you would find it. pretty much inoperable on the trail you just you just wouldn't be able to get out and lock in and lock out enough to you know I think you'd get real sick of it real fast
1: <laughs> plus let's say you get into a situation where the locked hub is now the one off the ground so the power is going to that wheel in the sky spinning and it's not going to the unlocked hub which is on the ground and if it was locked you'd go forward so yeah. I would say let's just not. Plus, you're doubling the stra- the uh, stress on your axle shafts and components instead of dividing it equal to two tires axles. Yeah, you're concentrating it on one.
6: How how many broken axle shafts before you pay for a decent locker?
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's a really a a good point. Is if you have a selectable <laughs> locker,
6: air locker, ox locker,
1: zip locker, whatever your choice is then you wouldn't have to deal with that. You just flip the switch and done deal.
2: Yeah. Hey, you remember man. back in the day, right? People were doing that they'd come in and like, yeah, I got, I'm locked up in the front and they'd, they'd basically be running a, a Detroit locker. And, you know, I witnessed that a number of times. I'm like, what a pain in the rear. Cause the, basically you're right. You can't steer Tyler. You mentioned adding hydraulic steering. It's like, but man, then you're putting all of that extra load on all of your, your steering components something's gonna give and I'll i have done back <laughs> or break balls yeah. you did it rick
1: <laughs> no I, I built plenty of vehicles with uh detroit's front and rear uh, and you know you power through it it's it's not easy but you can do it yeah. You can steer uh, but that's where the selectable locker has such a great advantage which is why it's generally my choice
0: Well, AJ, I hope that uh, answered your question or gave you a little more insight. And um, now we're going to go back to Moab and Jeep's presence at Easter Jeep Safari. And uh, most people have driven down 191 if you've been to Moab and you've come past this large gathering at Walker Drug and there's a great display there with some really unique Jeeps that you can't find on the dealership. And Rick and Chris have a lot more insight to Jeep's presence at Easter Jeep Safari and Jeep concepts.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's, it's really cool that Jeep, corporate Jeep, of course, is involved in not necessarily the actual Easter Jeep Safari, but they have their presence there. Most notably, exactly what you said. Walker Drug on Wednesday, they show off what the engineers and design studio has come up with as far as a concept car now most of these concept vehicles jeeps are running driving normal vehicles and uh, the head of jeep design mark allen is a one of the leading force behind it and he's been doing this for many years and he's he's an actual jeeper he he gets it obviously and uh chris what was it 2002 they started coming out with the concepts and you started photographing them
2: 2008 eight yeah right yeah so uh, usually uh, Mopar would put together um, three or four vehicles Jeep would put together three or four vehicles Uh, Mopar's rigs were often um, they were more tame you know a selection of Jeep performance parts and kind of a kind of a display case for um, their new products for the year but the Jeep guys um jeep guys would go into their crazy cave and probably have a couple cocktails and say what kind of crazy thing can we come up with this year you know and it would be everything from futuristic to super retro and uh yeah it's been a great program um tracy mentioned walker drugs so they'll have their new vehicles out every year um but they also bring out some of the uh, some of the classics, some of the favorites from the past, and uh, I know mean, you guys have been at EJS for a long time. Um, what are some of your like favorite concepts from the years?
0: Oh man, I, I would have to say, and it's a, a more recent favorite, but it's a retro, and that would be Road Trip.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: it road just takes it, it takes me back to some really fun memories of. Vehicles I've had, vehicles I spent a lot of time in, in the mountains of Colorado. And it just, I don't know, it it resonates with me. Road trip is a wagon, a Wagoneer. It it just, it was set up so perfectly, right down to the stuffed German Shepherd in it.
1: In the backseat.
0: Yeah, and we were lucky enough to have it greet us at our our final or one of our final JP Dirt and drives, and it was it was cool to pull into the parking lot and have that sitting there and being able to literally crawl around it without the the hordes of people at Walker Drugs, and it was just beautiful. I mean, from from the greenish colored paint to the the interior, I mean, I just loved it. Yeah,
1: it, it was an aw- awesome, build. And basically, all they all it was was a oh, about a sixty six G Wagoneer that they put on top of a JK chassis, and well, modified, of course. And a big Hemi engine and and all of the the standard upgrades, but like I said, the interior with the plaid and the the stickers and road trip stickers from uh, Idaho National Park, were, you know, just like if you had gone with your parents, and then had a wicker basket on the roof and, and the toolboxes in the back and the, the old cooler, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you okay. know, they took a lot of time, and I agree, Tracy. The road trip was definitely one of my favorites, and I've I've yeah. had a Lucky enough they had an opportunity to drive it. And then, of course, it drives just like a new vehicle because that's how uh Jeep Sign Office makes these vehicles. They're they're set. Yeah, that was a good one. Love that. Love yeah, the retro. I take that one any day. <laughs> how about you, Tyler?
6: Uh hands down, it'd be the 2016 Jeep Comanche concept. Uh I, I don't know why manufacturers are, are moving away from the, the single cab mini truck market. They've just abandoned it. And to see that, I mean, that truck, it was a diesel, it was a single cab. Uh, it was a smaller platform, you know, mini truck kind of platform. Convertible top, which is pretty sick, I think, but I'd like it either way. The military style bed, but all the boxes, single cab, pickup truck, diesel engine, Love that concept, love it. I I I wish they'd still bring it back. They've got the Gladiator, and and I liked the single cab concept of the Gladiator they did two years ago. Um, but they could still revive the Comanche label, and if they did, that was such a sick little truck. Man, that truck was cool.
2: Yeah, nice the colors on it. Tan blended right in with the Moab uh, sandstone.
6: Oh, perfect color. And I, I don't know if you, if you remember back, I think, in the early, I want to say late 80s, early 90s, Dodge did a convertible Dakota pickup. Oh, yeah. I actually had a roommate in college that had one of those. And that was a cool truck, man. A convertible pickup truck's really a lot cooler than you'd think.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, a friend of mine had a Datsun back in the 70s convertible. But that's because someone chopped off the top.
6: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that Comanche concept. You know, we were still chomping at the bit to get a pickup truck from Jeep. And I, I wish they would. I wish they'd come back into that market. I, Since everybody else has pretty much abandoned it, I think they would absolutely destroy and just crush that market. If they if they brought a little single cab compact pickup back to market. But,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. No one plays in that market.
6: <clears throat> no. If you have a I mean, the, Tacomas, the Tacomas are great big now. The mm-hmm. Everything's just huge. Yeah. Yeah. You can't find small a mini There's just no mini trucks. There is no such
1: thing as a mini truck anymore.
0: <clears throat> so, Liam, did you have a favorite concept at the One EJS that you went to?
4: Oh, well. Um, so, I've got two favorites then if i'm talking about the one i went to uh shoot well i wasn't thinking about the one i went to there was a <laughs> lot of good concepts uh that year because they had the two-door gladiator which was just so perfect um and it you know it, it, it hurts a little bit because it's not a production vehicle and it was just too right. perfect but you're right it was perfect yeah the uh the m7 uh with just completely done up with the Hellcat and all that. That was amazing. Um, But one of my favorites from back when I was dreaming of Easter Jeep Safari and only seeing the concepts online is the one called Jeepster, which uh, was that a JK or a JL? Those of you that know.
2: JK. Let's see. That would have been a JK.
4: It would have been a JK. Yeah. And it's red. And I don't know if you can tell if you're watching the video, I do like red Jeeps. (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> although my Jeep is red and black, I've always liked the red and white look and the Jeepster concept I thought was just perfect. I think they chopped the top a little bit and uh, gave it the the red style lines. And oh, man, when I saw that, I said, if I had enough time and money to to paint and do my Jeep the way I want it, it'd look just like that.
2: So. That fun was day. a really fun rig. That was a fun rig to drive. We had it out at the sand dunes. I don't know if you remember that Rick, but oh yeah. Um yeah. It hauled. Yeah, fun for carbon turns.
1: Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. As media, we were invited to come out and drive the vehicles and inspect them and crawl underneath, and take photos. And that was all on a Monday. So the rest of the people got to see them in live on Wednesday at Walker Drug. So you know doing this a few years, we've had a lot of cool opportunities, and I was thinking about my favorite. I'm going, ah, oh, JKE, FC, New Kaiser. You know, it's, it's difficult. What about you, Chris?
2: Hmm, <laughs> dang, I don't know. Um, New Kaiser was definitely there, but like the uh, uh, five quarter 715 that they mm-hmm. did in 2019. Uh, that was a super fun drive. I mean, I, we go out, we'll go out, um, on Friday, you know, and Saturday, the week before Moab, uh, sometimes even Thursday. And so we shoot all these. So we spend you know, a couple of days, um, photographing them. Um, so I usually see them from behind the lens and then I see them as a media guy on Monday. I don't know. Um, you know, i been in the rock crawling scene for a long time, so you know the the hardcore go fast cars are are fun. You know they had the immortal and then uh, the Hellcat or Trailcat, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So that had a seven hundred horsepower um, crate uh, Hellcat motor in it, um, and that was fun. But then they, you know, they they you know with a craze of overlanding, which you know you go back in the history of Jeep and and padding and Lauren Upton, and Mark Smith, and I mean, like, the the ends of the earth overlanding uh, trips that they did, and so they've come out with, like, Africa, and then recently, they came out with um, a Far Out, which was the Gladiator, with a rooftop tent, and a bar in the back. Um, yeah, so the bar was cool. So, um, kind of like with the trails, I can't pick just one.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I know, and I, I, can't, I can't pick road trip, Tracy already snag that one and rightfully so so i might have to i'm gonna have to say the mighty fc fc is mighty fc it's just so cool i mean when you take take a design that's just so weird to begin with and then bring it up to normal uh everyday standards that we have today components and the bodywork and everything else it was It was definitely one of my favorites. And it drove really nice. Of course, with an FC, the weird thing is you're right over the front wheels. So when you're going down a hill, you're looking at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, there it is. And the original FCs had a big heavy metal weight in the back to keep them from tipping over forward. So
2: I did not know that.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, Weight and balance on those were a little bit odd
2: yeah well that was a definitely a cool rig now
4: uh rick the, to your point about the fc there was something going around on instagram and i don't know if it i can't remember if it was actually a picture of the mighty fc or it was a rendering of one that someone did with you know like a chevy truck or something like that or whatever right where they took the cab and squished it and put it right over the front axle yeah and someone commented on there and said that oh this is impossible like clearly the <laughs> artist does not know what they're doing because of where engines go and how they fit. This is not possible. You'll never see this on the road. And I wanted to just get on there and be like, take apart an FC. And uh-huh. you no, know.
1: it's weird. They're so weird. Oh, yeah. That was just a keyboard warrior that had no clue that. Oh, I mean, this design goes back to the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the engines, like, behind you.
4: Right kinda. there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, Rick, what did you uh, what did you think about some of the kind of uh, military styling cars that they came out
1: with, like the um, staff car? Staff car was cool. I mean, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for anything olive drab, desert sand, and the wonderful canvas with that wonderful canvas smell. I, mean, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, and when you have non-directional tread tires, and, and the way that uh, Mark and his crew build up all those. Those military-esque vehicles with all the, the little touches like lifting hooks and blackout lights and everything else. Those are a lot of fun. The design and, operation. And the
0: NDT tires.
1: Yeah, NDT tires. They're, they're, that screams military like nothing else. Simple as that. Yeah, and, and like any of the concepts, you look really close and you'll find not just what we call Easter eggs, but certain things that you go huh why is that like on the staff car on the hood it looks like Wrangler but you know you really got to read what the hood says to figure it out they got a lot a lot of interesting things then of course there's another one I like it's the j, the j uh, jk8 remember that one that's where they had a pretty much it was a, a JK pickup and what these guys do is use a lot of the information garnered from these builds for future vehicles that may or may not appear. Hence, why we have a three ninety two in a JL. Yeah,
4: and actually, I want to add to that real quick. Last week we talked about the half doors quite a bit, and there was something that I didn't get a chance to uh, touch on, which, if you remember, and in- some of the earlier Easter Jeep Safari builds, they had some Jeeps with half doors with holes in them. And there was a lot of people who loved it. They thought it was really cool. And yeah. you know, when Jeep came out with the the JL Wrangler in 2018, what did we have on the half doors? We had holes. And um, I saw a press release, and I, I've seen other things, so they're not just lying to their teeth. But I saw a press release where at least one spokesperson from Jeep was asked about the holes in the half door. And they said, oh, no, that was concept only. We never intended on doing that. And that is, um, and I can say this with confidence, it's not true. They tried so hard to put the holes in the door. And really what it comes down to is just like half doors have an upper portion uh, that you would put on when it's colder or in the rain, they had a plug for the hole that would go in the hole and the half door. And by the time that the plug and the interior and exterior and the upper were all designed, it was so ridiculously expensive. Um, and the doors were actually heavier than the full doors is what I was told. So, <laughs> exactly. and, and they were meeting crash test regulations. By the time all of those things came together, they looked at the hole and said, there's no way um, we can sell these. They're, they're going to be too expensive and it's just not feasible. And so that's, that's where the hole went. Um, I have CAD files showing that it was supposed to be in there and they tried they really did they gave it their best effort but uh, reality kind of struck and no hole in the half door so
1: well, i'm just i'm just happy that we have half doors available for the jls now anyway those, those oh yeah we already put that on our sides and the pricing and everything else so uh, good things come out of these concept vehicles and i can think way way back before the jk was introduced and thinking on one of these concepts if i remember correctly um, all of the design body cues came through so yeah the jeep engineers know what they're doing and they're they're trying
0: looks like we yeah lost yeah uh chris had a massive computer malfunction so he's trying to reboot <laughs> and come back but i'm excited to see the concepts that Bits and pieces were leaked for last year, and when EJS didn't happen, we know they have those in reserve, and maybe they've been working on something for this year, so I'm excited to see what what will be out and about. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of cool stuff. Absolutely.
1: You know, the pent-up demand just for us, wanting to see, much less the regular public.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the 392 went from concept earlier this year when you and Chris were out in California, or I should say earlier last year, all the days blend blend together to being available this quarter for a premium price tag. Not cheap. No, I think the base price is something like 73500 plus destination charges and uh-huh. up from there for all your goodies, gadgets, gizmos, and doodads. Yeah, it, it seems
1: kind of crazy, but then you look at what it would cost to drop a Hemi into a regular uh, JL Rubicon. And this is a factory package with a whole bunch of other uh, design criteria thrown in, not just somebody swapping in a different engine. So, yeah, it's out of my my price range. I don't know about you guys, but
0: and I, I guess the bonus would be if you were going to take your JL or your JK and drop a Hemi in it, you've got to come up with that money. This you've got your Hemi and you can finance it into your purchase price.
1: Oh, good point. Absolutely. And a factory warranty.
0: True. Very true.
1: Oh, yeah. If I was going to go that way, yeah. I mean, I've always said stock is hot because it's engineered to be correct, shall we say. So I know that the design engineers over there that, that did the 392 know what they're doing, and they've thought about all the little stuff. Does that mean there's no room for improvement? Good Lord, no. That's what Jeeps are all about. I mean, well, Liam, there's always room for improvement. Absolutely. Liam's working on his right now because it yeah. was perfect when it was built, right, Liam? Oh, yeah. The four cylinder YJ was perfect and powerful, and everyone loved them. Yeah.
6: Liar. <laughs> <laughs> liar. I know that's not true from personal experience. <laughs> so
4: I am going to have to get going because I need to make it to Moab. And uh, I guess. I'll do my little plug here. If you see me in Moab and I'm still in one piece, I'll be toting around a Jeep that has parts that go with this thingy uh, on the four cylinder. So if you know what this is, you might know what I'm doing. If you don't, you'll have to tune in and find out.
0: Yeah, and uh, if anybody happens to see him on the road between Michigan and Moab in a ball of flames or there's a, a charred piece of. (laughs) <laughs> he said the thing on the to, side of the road.
6: <laughs> now the side of the engine on the roadside.
1: At least yeah. stop and give them some food, okay? Yeah, I yes. appreciate and, it.
0: And do you happen to have a bumper sticker that says "Honk if parts fall off"? <laughs> I can get one. I'll get one. You, you should. You should probably get one.
1: Uh, that would be a good idea. M-
0: much easier to go back ten miles than eleven hundred miles and pick up parts. So.
1: So, how many miles
4: is it for you, Liam? Oh, man. I thought it was. Well, last time I drove it, I needed an oil change by the time I got home. So, <laughs> I think it's 2001 way. Wow. That's
6: yeah. A long, wow. That's, that's a long, long road trip. We're your Jeep.
1: Oh, man. It did it last time. Yeah. Fuel prices will come down in a month, too. So,
0: Oh man! Well, and, until you get to Moab, and then they're a dollar higher a gallon. No, well, that's
1: true too. Yeah.
0: So one one more quick thing, Rick. Since you've driven the three nine two, what, what were your driving impressions? You can probably talk about that now. You couldn't back then.
1: Yeah. Yes and no. Uh, there's a few things that are that were different on that one uh, that I cannot discuss, but. What I can say is, it was really cool. I mean, it's a three ninety two. When you have large pistons and eight of them instead of four with a blower on it, you can feel the difference. You can hear the difference. Uh, four and a blower is fine. Nothing wrong with that. My God, give me a V eight any day.
6: I mean, there's when, no replacement for displacement. There
1: is no, <laughs> no replacement, and, and more is better in that. That can that, that area. I mean, you can do a lot of stuff with gears. That's why a little motor and flowers and everything else really can show what a vehicle can do. My God, when you've got the, the low-end grunt with your torque band down low, drop it in gear and just go. Simple as that. You can idle over stuff because you still have all that rotating mass instead of having to wind it up. As far as the suspension interior and all the regular stuff that was really nice they had to do quite a bit of suspension work for the extra weight and because of the weight bias front to rear they had to work on that too <clears throat> when i got to drive concept everything was not sorted out but that's also why it was a concept at the time and believe me we've been hard at work and, and what you can drive now is really a, a feat of engineering
0: Okay, well, you have to answer one question for me. Sure. Did you power break it?
1: I can't t- get that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gathering from, from the grin that we're seeing on the video that there's a better than 50% chance that that may or may not have happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, trust me, if you get a chance to drive it, you will like it. Try it, you'll like it. Simple
0: okay. as
1: that. So what if it costs $75,000? I don't have $50,000, so, so why would I worry about seventy five? dollars
0: Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, um, the whole crew is going to be in Moab during Easter Jeep Safari. We'll trickle in throughout the week. You will be able to find us. I think we're going to run some kind of a contest or two while we're there may involve social media so pay attention to our facebook and instagram pages for your chance to win some Jeep and swag
1: absolutely yeah we want to hear from you guys while you're out there Uh, look us up we'll be around and in the meantime i guess that's it for this episode
0: Yeah, I guess so. So uh, if you guys have questions that you want the team to answer, you can hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, email, carrier pigeon, dog sled, snail mail, you name it. We will get to your questions as quickly as we can. And right or wrong, we'll answer them one way or the other. Absolutely. So until then, thanks again for watching
1: and listening. And make sure you like, share and subscribe.
0: I'm Tracy Clark for Gone Jeepin'.
1: I'm Rick Payway for Gone Jeepin'.
0: We'll see you guys on the next episode. Have a great night. On the next episode of the Gone Jeepin' Show, we'll have lockers before light bars where we will answer some of our fans' questions. Willie's versus Wrangler. Rick Payway faces off against the new guys. Old school versus modern technology. And Trailside, where we will discuss some of our favorite trails and trips we'd like to take. Thanks for joining us on the Gone Jeepin' Show. We'll see you at the next episode. We're all Jeep all the time.